What's up, documentarians? It is, yes, this has not dropped on a Tuesday. Welcome to our Super Bowl special. Drew and I jump 30 for 30s to bring you the newest, freshest, hottest one. We're talking about The Two Bills, directed by Ken Rogers. But it is also the Super Bowl, an unofficial national holiday. Even people who don't like football tune into the Super Bowl. Some people like to just watch the commercials. But who will win? Will it be the Pats, the Patriots, or Dem Eagles? Keep it greasy, Philly. If you hear this before the game, I'm sure it's pumping you up for tonight's Super Bowl. If you're hearing it after, then it is either adding to your excitement or consoling your sadness. Or just going along with your overall indifference. You'll notice the audio is a little cleaner than usual. I'm figuring things out. This is a DIY operation, but it sounds a little less like it's recorded on a cassette. And I guess we'll just uh, stop hitting the mic. That's our next step. It's been recommended to me that I should pick it up off the floor and onto maybe a platform or a table closer to my mouth. I'll take that under consideration. This podcast is, it's fresh, fresh out of the oven, DIY. We're not uh we're not a Hollywood podcast. We're we're some friends based in Nashville, Tennessee. Honestly, we would be talking about this stuff even if there wasn't microphones in front of us. But we're smart. Well, they are. I'm a goof ass, but the other co-hosts are smart, creative, creatively active in our communities, and all around talented and intelligent people. And we love to talk about documentaries. We have banked three episodes that are under the, we'll call it the underground tape quality, including uh, this Tuesday's Jesus Camp with new documenteer Johnny Greff. You'll want to tune in for that. It's very personal. You can find us on places like iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, non-shitty applications. If you have a friend loves documentaries, let them know. If you have a friend that just likes to hear other friends uh, jovially discuss things and sometimes goof around. Recommend us to them as well. Now we discuss the two bills. Doc, you very much. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. I'm stepping down. Bill Belichick immediately ascends to the head coach of the Jets. I've decided to resign as the head coach of the New York Jets. This family is dysfunctional. Stocks was an X, not a CS. And boy, oh boy, isn't it a special day? It feels really special, like we're not even supposed to be here right now. I'm Bob Sham, and you are? Drew Wilson. Drew Wilson, you're going for the last name. I don't know, you you just put me on the spot there. You kind of got a presence anyway, I think. Angela doesn't give her last name, but if you just do a little Google, it's not probably not that hard to find. Well, I'm not trying to avoid anyone. Come at me, Googlers. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Very special edition. Throwing off the whole thing. Tuesday shows? 
Those are for normals. We're doing special episodes now. Fucking normies. <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday should be a holiday, damn it. I mean, it is a Sunday. A lot of people already have the day off. Definitely feels like a special day. You're asking somebody to come by to watch the game and they say they have to work on Sunday. I'm just like, where where do you work? It's horrible. I'm so they, sorry. They might People might complain about people kneeling in week five, but when Super Bowl comes around, everybody's watching the damn Super Bowl. Yes, it is Super Bowl Sunday. And Drew and I are here to bring you a very special episode. We watched last Thursday's 30 for 30, The Two Bills. Was this ever called Bill and Bill? Because I was calling it Bill and Bill for like two weeks. Nah, it was The Two Bills. And then I sat and watched the trailer. Oh, it's The the Two Bills. Bill and Bill might have worked better, though. I kind of like that. I kind of like it, too, but that's not what it is. Look, we didn't have a choice on this one. We weren't going back and watching it like we do during the normal series when I'm here joining you on Documenteers. We watched this as it premiered, as it was live. Yeah. Hot off the presses. Sitting through commercials, which, not cool. This episode of Documenteers is brought to you by Hulk Fist. 2009's 10th hottest toy is back. Hulk Fist's. I'm wearing two right now. Oh, I'm wearing three. Guess where the third one is? On the table right here. I can see it. Yeah, it's listener, I know what you're thinking. Perv. <laughs> Hulk Fist. Hulk Fist. No, we're not sponsored by Hulk Fist, but that would be great if we were. Hey, you invited me back to the, uh, the sh- what are the studios called again? The, the Shamco Studio. Shamco Studios here to record Documenteers episodes. Fresh off my busy schedule of radio hosting. I liked it. I like to mix it up where we get to watch the show live, too, instead of just comparing notes later. It's a nice little twist for a special episode, a very special Super Bowl episode. I assume there's going to be a moral at the end. We'll figure it out on the way. But yes, we are doing 30 for 30, the two bills directed by Ken Rogers. Now, if we were waiting in order to do this, it would be in the hundreds before we got to this episode. Because right now you're at about one a month. We've already, the funny thing is we're talking about the Super Bowl now and we've banked two episodes where we talk about the conference championships. Well, I think you're throwing off the timeline here. Not at all. Crossing the streams. Timeline's going to be a little off, but we did mention in those banked episodes when we brought up the conference championships and who was going to the Super Bowl that you would know who won the Super Bowl by the time you heard those episodes. Boy, is that not important. But this movie, (laughs) this movie, The Two Bills, what's this movie about? A lot of Super Bowls. It is about a lot of Super Bowls. Uh, seven. A nice Super Bowl dick measuring contest, too, when you're writing down on a table. How many Super Bowls have you won? This movie is about the two Billies. Billy Parcell and Billy Belichick. Billy Belichick is playing in the Super Bowl today, as in today, the day we drop this for you to hear. They say in the documentary he won five Super Bowls. Is it true? Or would they... Be better off if they waited one more week to release this episode and cut in. No, six actually now. If he does win six, that 30 for 30 is just ancient history in the garbage. Already. Didn't even last a week. Not like these episodes, which will last forever. We go to East Rutherford, New Jersey. We see Purcell driving around. And also is cutting to Belichick driving around with his, uh, you know, that Belichick face that barely smiles. I think if he did a full smile, his head might catch on fire. Okay, we've done a couple of these episodes together now on the 30 for 30s. In every single one of them, I feel like they have to get that shot of the guy driving. Does ESPN not pay for drivers? Why are they always sitting in the passenger seat while someone else drives that they have to interview? I can see Belichick demanding he drive, even if someone offered. Feels a little unsafe to be doing your interview while they're supposed to be watching the road. Belichick is driving, and he's being asked about Bill Parcell. 
Belichick hesitantly, it kind of takes him a while to get that full answer out, but he considers him a friend, but also a competitor. Parcel, who we also see some hot driving shots of, says that the relationship that he and Belichick had is a kinship that lasts for the rest of your life. Director Ken Rogers, do we have anything else he did that was fun that we can call him? I did he direct any great movies? Uh, I think there are just a couple documentaries on there. So Usually, we're just going to have to call him director of the Two Bills. Two Bills director Ken Rogers. He was really trying hard to get these guys to say they don't like each other. And I feel like this whole documentary, he was trying to make a different movie than the one he ended up with. Yeah, I got that vibe too. He went in there really trying to get this drama between these two people and kind of, I'm going to be the one who gets them together and gets them to say how they really feel. It seemed like he either wanted them to fight or fuck. At the end, when he realizes they're not fighting, he's basically holding their heads together and being like, kiss, kiss. <laughs> like they're two dolls. <laughs> he's trying real hard to make this documentary something else. He doesn't get it. It's more about football than it is about any interpersonal conflict. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think that is in spite of the director. It is more about football than anything else. The two Bills, they walk up to a table together. They're in the same room. So exciting. He couldn't lay down a tablecloth. Come on, Ken. We'll find out later he needed them to autograph the table and write how many Super Bowls they won on it. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Yeah, a little corny. But uh, if he just set the mood a little bit more, maybe he could have got the ending he was looking for. Tip to future filmmakers. Plan ahead. (laughs) Scented candles. They know each other. How do they know each other? They know each other from way back. Marcel used to be the head coach of the Giants. He hired on Belichick. Wasn't he a special teams coach? Yeah, that's how he got his start on the Giants and kind of in the NFL. There had a nice piece in there that I didn't know about early on. When Bill Parcells was the head coach at Air Force Academy, Bill Belichick was apparently trying to get a job with him there, and Parcells kept putting him off. Like, I'm not sure, Bill. Just give me time. Just give me time. And Belichick got the idea that he was getting blown off by Parcells, that he wasn't going to get the job at Air Force that he was gunning for. And then they both end up on a plane together without knowing it to... (laughs) to New York to interview with the Giants. And that's when he realized that the reason Parcells kept blowing him off for the Air Force job was Parcells wasn't going to be there because he got hired for the Giants job. And then he brought Belichick on as the special teams coach. Parcells wasn't the head coach yet then. Right, he was a linebacker coach. He was the defensive coordinator. Ah. So Bill Parcells is in charge of the defense. Bill Belichick's the special teams coach. But they both got hired, Bill Parcells out of Air Force, by Ray Perkins, who was the Giants head coach at the time. I like that image of Parcel with a falcon. There's a lot of talking heads, as there is in these 30 for 30 movies. I know a lot of more former players and former staff. I honestly don't know most of them, but I did recognize Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor looked good. Is yeah, clean. Big-time Giants player, one of the greats. LT was talking about what he thought about Belichick. Parcel rode LT hard, but LT respected him for that because they were a good team. But when he first saw Belichick, he kind of disregarded him he didn't look like a football player quote uh not one of us but that was pretty important too that was their first kind of impression of bill belichick when he came in this guy's not one of us he says later on he looked like he played ping pong or something he didn't play football like some like someone from revenge of the nerds was hired so bill belichick bill parcells is known for his tough love style on these players he does ride them real hard and bill belichick was getting to be kind of the same way but again they didn't respect him when he first came in there and he's the special teams coach he's not in charge of the defense but he can't really pull off that same tough love act right away because again he's not one of us he didn't play football he doesn't look like he plays football belichick was not afraid to say what he thought was a good idea 
regardless of what coach position he was coaching. And he gained a reputation as a good problem solver. In 1983, Parcells becomes the giant. Did I say Parcells, plural? It is Parcells. No, okay. It's Parcells. That's his last name. Have I been saying Parcell? You well, said it a few times. You said Purcell once. <laughs> Purcell? <laughs> Motherfucker, get your name right. <laughs> Parcells pluralized the whole town. Parcell, now the giant. I did it again. I just fucking did it again. <laughs> Sorry, you're going to have your work cut out for you, buddy. <laughs> Parcells is an 80, 1983. Parcells becomes the Giants head coach. It's a bad first year. Parcells gives the blessing for Belichick to go to the Vikings because they're hunting for him. But because of that, Belichick sees that as a class move. He wants to see it through with the Giants. He gets bumped up to defensive coordinator at this point. That's the line that comes in where LT describes him as a guy who probably just plays ping pong. But Belichick improves the D in two years. He's a nerd, but he's a nerd in the best possible way. It's important there because they say, you know, he didn't have that respect from the beginning. He has to earn it, but he does earn it. You can tell even a guy like Lawrence Taylor, vicious linebacker, known for all his off-the-field stuff we don't have to get into right now. That's a whole other 30 for 30. He respects the guy who looked like he played ping pong because of how good he he works with this defense. And he does earn that respect. He gets himself a new nickname. They start calling him Doom, which Parcells called him originally. <laughs> then all the players called it because everything was the end of the world to Bill Belichick. And I'm using that from now on. Doom is a perfect nickname for Bill Belichick. I thought it was also important that they say he really liked that nickname. Oh, Once yeah. they started calling him that, he didn't get bitter at Parcells for calling him Doom because everything's the end of the world. He didn't call him Eeyore or something called him doom and then belichick basically took that as a license to say they're calling me doom i don't have to be nice to them anymore now i can ride them i can show them that tough love that i've been trying to this whole time now that i've got that respect i've got that reputation the topic of friendship comes up a lot in this movie and how these men make friends and with belichick people would say that he was friendly but it wasn't but it was business it was almost like a work acquaintanceship respect but he wasn't like a guy that you're that he would just call you and be like, hey, do you want to go get some French fries and a beer? Yeah, they called him Doom because he always played for the worst case scenario. Parcells, he liked to press buttons and he was not afraid to talk shit. That's kind of the best quality of Bill Parcells. I like them flashing in this documentary a whole bunch of clips of Parcells yelling at Belichick on the sidelines while they're both sitting in the room together. So Bill Belichick's just watching himself as a young coach with kind of no leg to stand on, just talk back, just getting reamed out by Parcells over and over again. But Parcells kind of laughs and goes, oh, I'm sure I didn't mean that. Parcells today sitting at that table, and also from watching old footage of himself, I'm sure, he's a lot more diplomatic than what we see in the old footage. Oh, yeah. He just wants to be friends now. He's, you know, he's retired. He's having a good time. He even tells Belichick, you haven't reached this point of the career where I'm at now, which is just retirement, and you can look back on it all and kind of laugh. Parcell is quoted as a saying that sensitivity was not in play in those days, but that attitude paid off. In 1986, they become the division champs. They go on to play against Joe Montana and the Niners. Belichick, he says that their zone D won't work against Joe Montana. He turns out to be right. They switch it up and they crush the Niners 49 to 3. And Belichick gets the Gatorade dump. Maybe one of the first times that happens in his career. 
And it's exciting to see that. He he gets the big play call. He says, we need to play man-to-man defense. It kind of confuses the 49ers and their legendary coach, Coach Bill Walsh. The three Bills? Whoa. They, why didn't they just bring in Bill Walsh to sit at this table? Wait, is he, is He's he got alive? some Super Bowls, too. He's alive, right? They win. Bill Belichick gets the Gatorade shower as Joe Montana's team only put up three points on his defense that entire game. Then they go to the NFC Championship against the Redskins. Shut out the Redskins. Boom. 17 nothing, And Belichick ends up getting carried off by his players. That's respect for your defensive coordinator, who used to say is not one of us. He earned that. He worked his way up. And now these players, they love him. Maybe not as a person or a buddy they're going to eat french fries with, but as their defensive coach. They love him. And then they're going to the Super Bowl. Now, Jimmy the Greek is calling the Giants D at this time the best defense ever. That's Jimmy the Greek, and he gives all the credit to Parcells for coaching this up. Because, again, Parcells was a defensive coordinator before it. He's got a reputation as a defensive mastermind, too. And the Giants go, and they win that Super Bowl, 39-20. to 20. And this is so big to Bill Parcells, because he'd been t- telling his players in the lead-up to this, you can never take it away. No matter what they say about you now, whatever they say about you the rest of your career, if you're a Super Bowl champion, they can never take that away. And once you raise that trophy, a magical blood kinship forms. For sure. And they did it. They win the Super Bowl in 1986. Magical bloodkins. Now, you can tell that the Today Bills, that's the Bills sitting at the table, they really like this part of the story. This is probably the most positive that they are towards each other, reminiscing about these old days. Now, the word genius gets thrown around a lot. And Parcells kind of makes fun of that word. He gets upset at Belichick's suggestion in a Lions game. Belichick wanted them to play nickel defense the whole time to, right. to deal with the speed of the Lions wide receivers. And Parcells says, Barry Sanders on that team. We've got to play up against the run. We can't play nickel defense. If all you want is speed, why don't you put our wide receivers out there to play defense? He's fast. Belly, that's what people who know him call him, uh, wants to match that speed. But he's just so smart. And Parcells is always thinking, oh, you're so smart. He likes to pop his head in to the assistant coach's room and be like, you geniuses, what are you coming up with now? It's just a little different way of working. They like to play off that dichotomy a little bit there, where Parcells just kind of, he knows all this stuff. He's a football lifer. He might be a football genius in his own way. Sure. But Belichick sees things in a totally different way. He's always kind of that, like, reclusive mad genius. The Giants shut the lines out. Parcells could not deny that Belichick is on to something. They move on in the playoffs against the Bears, and they wreck the Bears by playing a four-man line, which I think it said they hadn't really done all year. No, not the whole season. They were a 3-4 defense, and they played 4-3. You still hear that today. Teams are either 3-4 teams or they're 4-3 teams. It's a different scheme for most defensive coordinators, most head coaches, whoever it is that brings in their own scheme. But that's the way the team plays. For them to switch it up like that, they totally threw the Bears off. And Mike Ditka, another legendary coach, and they wrecked the Bears. Yeah, they crushed their run game, which was very strong. Then they switch it up completely in the next game against the 49ers once again, who had just come off two Super Bowls in a row, looking for a three-peat. This time the Giants play all-nickel defense again. Which is, again, your speed on the field. You've got an extra cornerback out there. Kind of the opposite of that big lineup they played. And then in the Super Bowl, they played dime. And even further take on the nickel there, where you've got really all your speed out there. They said, let Thurman Thomas run all over us. 
We're going to play this dime defense and we're going to shut down their wide receivers, have that speed on the field. It's really crazy. And it's a testament to how much both the players and the head coach trusted Bill Belichick. They let him play three totally different defenses in three games in the playoffs. Very impressive. The Giants end up winning that Super Bowl by one point because the Bills miss a field goal. Poor Scott Norwood. He's not living this one down. And this isn't old-timey stuff we're talking about. Or, you know, that old-timey. We're talking about 1990 right now. You and me, we were kids then. Right. But kids who could be old enough to watch and remember some sports. And I distinctly remember these. I remember the 75th anniversary patches on the jerseys. This is a good time. This is a good time for the NFL. I was just watching baseball, really, at this time. It was NFL football was something that I got into when I got older. But I do remember certain Super Bowls. I definitely remember all those Cowboys wins because uh, Nashville, Tennessee didn't have pro sports at the time. And there was a lot of, uh, you know, fair weather Cowboy fans going on around here. Nah, I bet there were. And I bet it was still exciting. It was exciting. To but have Super Bowl Sunday. But you couldn't help but feel bad for the Bills. You know but, what else I loved about this part? Doing all the highlights of all these big games. John Madden. Yes. You get to hear a whole lot of Madden breaking down Belichick's defense in these scenes. That's cool stuff. Again, this isn't the documentary about the human drama right now. This is a straight football documentary, and it's really enjoyable. We hear a little Marv Albert, too. Didn't he bite a woman? (laughs) While wearing uh, her panties, I believe. But that's later. (laughs) (laughs) It's a different 30 for 30. If they haven't made that one yet, I hope someone's someone's in pre-production right now. Oh, Marv. You do you. Cleveland sees... What the Giants got going on. Bill Belichick is a prime candidate for head coach. And Cleveland wants him. Belichick goes to Cleveland and he's hired as head coach at the tender age of 30. The youngest head coach in the league. Can you imagine? I'm past that. I mean, we've got Sean McVay right now, the youngest head coach in the league. This is a different story. This is Bill Belichick in the 90s being the head coach, moving on to the Cleveland Browns. And then three months later... Bill Parcells decides to retire because his heart just can't take it anymore. People on the Giants are a little confused if Parcells just quit earlier, then Belichick certainly would have been the head coach of the Giants. Or if these guys even talked about it a little bit. Apparently, this was a surprise to everybody. Parcells and Belichick weren't on, uh, you know, had your doctor's visit go terms, apparently. I think Belichick was just maybe on his own path. He probably didn't feel the need to explain anything i i mean i'm just projecting here but it seems like if parcells knew at all i think parcells would have wanted belichick to replace him i think parcells just he was dealing with something that scared him at the last minute and he had and he felt like he had to go that's how it seems it seems like there was no bitterness there it was just kind of everybody's lamenting a lost opportunity to keep this team together or on the same track there's a real sad moment where lawrence teller says this was the end for him, too, when both of those coaches left. He couldn't put it back together, his word. That Parcells was the one who could really reach him and get him to be, you know, get him out there every week. And you you think about, like, maybe that's true. Maybe Lawrence Taylor wouldn't have gotten so self-destructive later on if he still had those firm, tough love hands, if Belichick had gone on to be his next coach instead of Ray Handley, who was the next Giants coach, much much maligned and there you go you get the uh, the two rays the giants coaches before and after bill parcells can't wait for that one man so many multiple same name documentaries you could do here espn now 1991 during a browns game parcell comes on as a commentator 
With Ref- Marv Albert. With Marv Woman Biter Albert. And he's making these references when he's talking about the, the Browns are down. And Parcells is like, we still have time to win. Marv Alberts is like, we? Can I bite your dick? <laughs> Parcells says, what did you say? Whoops. That's a pretty big screw up for a broadcaster. He's supposed to be back in here and a little bit. You know, it's not even the Giants playing. It's the Browns, but he still sees Bill Belichick as his guy. And he says, we can still win this thing while he's talking about the Cleveland game. And you know what? Cleveland does win that game. By a kick. Bill Belichick wins his first ever game as a head coach for the Cleveland Browns. His most impressive accomplishment to date. There's an interview that Parcell and Belichick do together. They sit down together. I actually thought this was really funny, where Parcells accuses uh, Belichick of dying his giant skier brown. And you notice he cut the sleeves off. As soon as he became the head coach, he starts cutting his sleeves off. He's a real fashion icon, this Bill Belichick. (laughs) Still his signature look to this day. Even in his Giants days, in the very early time in the NFL, he had the bowl cut and the open V-neck t-shirt. He can work a pair of uh, gym shorts, for sure. Parcells later becomes the Patriots head coach. I guess he's starting to feel a little better. And he's looking to duplicate New York Giants successes. Brings in some of the same players, Parcells guys. 94, the Browns get to the playoffs and they beat the Bears. We see the Browns against the Pats. There was a really cool shot that they showed across the field of the two coaches. At that time, there was not a lot of conversations going on between them. But the Browns pull out the win in that game. They're totally ignoring each other. And this is the big storyline. All the the camera crews and the talking heads at the time are saying, it's Barcells versus Belichick, you know, mentor versus his protege playing in this game in the playoffs together in Parcells' first time back since they're both in the playoffs for the first time since that Super Bowl they won together in 1990, their last year on the Giants. And then they don't even talk to each other. There's obviously some real tension there. Browns win, and Bill Belichick's in there in the locker room saying, everybody gets the game ball. Is it a kinder, gentler Bill Belichick? Mm, I don't know. But if you listen to our Band That Wouldn't Die episode or watch the movie, you would know that the Browns become the Baltimore Ravens, and they let Belichick go. That's in 1995, the next year. Parcells puts Belichick in front of Robert Kraft, who we know Robert Kraft. He's the owner of the New England Patriots. As a, He's the new owner of the Patriots at this time as well. Parcells explains to Kraft, you're not really going to be Belichick's friend. He's not the guy that hangs out, but he's really good at his job. And Kraft thinks, well, that's maybe not too far off of what I've been looking for. That's a polite way to say it. What Kraft actually says in the documentary is, wins turn me on. And then he shows his elderly erection. Like, you said this guy can get me some wins? God damn it, I'm rock hard right now for those wins. Belichick was a pretty in-demand defensive coordinator after the Browns fired him. It's kind of the way it works. You get fired from head coach, you go back to the next rank down, and then you work your way back up. Circle of life. But he's in-demand. There's a couple teams that want him. They say, he could be Miami's defensive coordinator. He could be Dallas's defensive coordinator. But in two days, the Patriots hire him after Kraft is really turned on by his interview. Belichick gets an assistant coaching position. Parcell is at the top. They win an AFC championship. But he's not the defensive coordinator right away. Because Parcells has his other guys. He's got Romeo Cornell. He's got Al Groh, who both later on go on to be head coaches. But But those have been his assistant coaches forever as well. Yeah, and Belichick, he gets that. 
because they're good defensive coordinators. But Kraft and Parcells begin to butt heads. Parcells is not really used to the level of owner interference that Kraft uh, brings in. Kraft makes some weird reference to, well, Parcells talks about, what was some analogy about grocery stores and bad groceries? And- oh, yeah, his famous grocery analogy. <laughs> says, you know, if I'm going to be the one to make the dinner, I'd like to pick out the groceries, too. And Kraft's like, I think the groceries are very good. What's wrong with the groceries? <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to stay on that analogy, Robert Kraft. You could have just been like, hey, we pick the damn groceries. You make dinner. Parcells admits that he wasn't very diplomatic. Parcells is being coy, but there's some rumblings about maybe, maybe the Jets. Now, you're a Jets fan. Do you remember these days? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did you love Billy Parcells? Loved the idea of Parcells being the Jets head coach. He's pretty much the most legendary coach of this era of football. And he is already. Everybody knows Bill Parcells. They know him as the Big Tuna. He's on the back page all the time. Great nickname. There was a there's a clip where an announcer, it's an old clip where an announcer says about Parcells, if a face could only talk, <laughs> most faces can talk. You talk out of your face holes. It's did the director put that in there because it was ridiculous? I I mean it's laughable. Maybe it's fun. It maybe it's just to cut it a little bit because it gets a little dramatic then when Robert Kraft steps in. And you know he's still feeling a little bit hurt. His uh, his little feelings were hurt pretty bad by Spygate and Deflategate and his friendship with Roger Goodell not really paying off. That's before his interview for this. So now he's saying, I think the NFL liked the idea of Bill Parcells in New York. And this is when I learned that the league office is not pure. <laughs> yeah, it's a fucking business, dude. <laughs> Multi-billion dollar business. <laughs> Robert Kraft invested in the purity of the NFL. (laughs) The trades on the pain of players for entertainment, and we love it. There's some contract shit going on. Parcells does want to go to the Jets, but Bob Kraft, uh, apparently he needs Kraft's permission, but eventually Parcells gets to go. But Kraft lets Belichick go because he wants to purge the Parcells era. They work out a uh, a crazy little deal here to get around Parcells' contract with the Patriots. And remember, this is right after they made the Super Bowl. So they made the Super Bowl, and all these distractions were there. It was obvious Parcells had one foot out the door, and they get smoked by the Packers. But then Parcells does go to the Jets, but Bill Belichick is the head coach of the Jets. That's how it works. Parcells is a consultant. They (laughs) They show Stuart Scott, rest in peace Stuart Scott, and his lazy eye. Just give one hell of a wink when he's talking about this story on SportsCenter. Oh, man, it was hard seeing Stuart Scott in this, too. Those were the days, man. Those were the days brought up as a big sports fan. You're watching SportsCenter, the glory days. But Scott's just sitting there, and he's like, Bill Belichick will be the head coach, and Bill Parcells will be a consultant. Wink. Real heavy-handed Stuart Scott going on right there. And then in 98, Belichick will be back as assistant head coach. Yeah, as soon as Parcells' contract runs out, then he'll be the head coach and Belichick will return as the assistant. But it doesn't end up working that way. They they do a deal where they just send, the Jets send some draft picks over to the Patriots as compensation to let Parcells out of his contract. And then Parcells becomes the head coach and Belichick goes to the assistant coach before coaching a single game. So technically, he was the Jets' head coach for six days in the offseason. <laughs> now, in 98, Parcells and Belichick, they get the Jets very competitive. It also seems to be, that was also the last time Drew was truly happy. (laughs) It it goes downhill pretty fast. (laughs) 
But remember, this was a huge upgrade because the year before, the Jets were 1-15 under Rich Kotite. So they hire Parcells, who one thing he does is everywhere he goes, the team gets better right away, real fast. He can turn things around, and he does this. Robert Kraft, meanwhile, is still still really hurting inside. <laughs> so he decides to, you can't trust any Parcells people. He tells Belichick he's gone to, he, he's not going to get the head coach job before this. And he hires the exact opposite of Bill Belichick in Pete Carroll, this fun, <laughs> goofy guy who tries a joke that falls so flat at his press conference about like, I like grocery shopping. I think my wife does a good job. Pete Carroll really does seem to be the opposite of Bill Belichick. Pete Carroll will smile at the drop of a hat. Bill Belichick, you have to maybe he'll only smile privately to his children, you know, or if he wins a Super Bowl. Will it be a six? We'll see. How about that blood kinship? That blood kinship. The Jets go from 1-15 and 15 to 9-7 and seven in their first year together. And in their second year, as Parcells is the head coach and Belichick as the assistant, they go to the AFC Championship. So that's a hell of a turnaround in two years. How about those Jets? Give me a little J-E-T-S. Jets. <laughs> 99. There's trouble in Jets paradise. Drew's world begins to crumble. There's trouble in Patriot land, too. Both these teams finish 8-8. Eight and eight. Disappointments. Parcells. Or maybe a crony at his disposal blocks a fax. The fax apparently comes from the Patriots requesting for Belichick to interview to be the Patriots head coach. A little skullduggery right there. That's some brutal stuff, man. He gets rid of the fax and then immediately goes up to tell everybody that he's retiring, which will kick in that clause in their contract where Belichick becomes the head coach since he was kind of head coach in waiting. And Parcells can be a, a consultant again. Exactly. But Belichick gets wind of this whole fact scenario, and he is he's not happy about getting blocked from the job. Belichick is citing some shitty ownership with the Jets at the time. Well, their longtime owner just died. Leon Hess, owner of Hess Gas Stations, if you're a northerner. Stop at the green, performance gasoline. That's one of the reasons the Jets are green and white, because Leon Hess owned them as well as his Hess Gas Stations. Wanted to match that color scheme. That's some advertising for you. Good owner right there. But he's gone, and they've got a choice between Woody Johnson and James Dolan are going to be the next owner of the Jets. And if you're a Knicks fan as well, you know that James Dolan possibly becoming your team owner is a good reason to get the hell out of that situation. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Well, as quickly as he comes up, Bill Belichick resigns as the Jets head coach. Staff and players are like, what? He shocked everybody. He told them, he basically walked through the halls in this documentary and was like, hey guys, watch what happens. You're going to want to watch this press conference. Belichick gives the longest press conference in his career easily. Rambling about treadmills and who knows how he, what. How he thought about everything. I started writing it and then I was like, damn, I'm not used to Belichick being so long-winded. Throwing out reasons why... They don't even mention this in the documentary, which was kind of shocking to me. But it's famous for another reason, in that he just has a little note in which he's, it just says, I resign as HC of NYJ. <laughs> That's it. That's the whole thing. Robert Kraft loves that press conference. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he masturbated to it. The wins, man. It's all about the wins. Marcel says he wasn't pissed. He was disappointed for selfish reasons. Like I said, older Parcells, calmer. More diplomatic. Oh, yeah. Those weird stories there, man. As it gets into the nit grit of a defining moment in the two Bills' lives, the camera drops, and Belichick, he's making jokes. 
I'm realizing Belichick is actually really funny. He's like... Maybe. <laughs> Belichick wants to move on from the topic. He's claiming that the camera dropping is a sign. There's like a little small talk between him and Parcells. They're pretty much talking about nothing. Their kids' weddings. I really like that part. This is supposed to be the big moment for director Ken Rogers, too. He wants that drama. This is the betrayal. It was the opposite of when Bill Belichick was going to leave the Giants for the Vikings. And Parcells let him have his freedom and put in a good word for him. And then Belichick rewarded him by staying with the Giants instead. This time, Parcells did not give him the option. He didn't give him any freedom. He took that freedom away by basically hiding the Patriots' facts that said they were interested in him and triggering that contract clause where he becomes the head coach of the Jets. But he bails out. And there was also famous New York Jet Hall of Famer Curtis Martin, great running back in those times, who also came over from the Patriots with compensation and drama attached, who really drives that knife in and says, you know, if Belichick stayed, I really think the Jets could have been what the Patriots are now. Sure. That's, I mean, that's great to hear when you're a Jets fan. Yeah, it's kind of hard to argue with. I mean, he goes down to Cleveland, gives them a winning season right before they move off. It really did seem like... Still the last playoff game the Browns have won. Wow, that's a long time ago for a... I don't mean to laugh, uh, Browns fans. Sorry. Oh, man. I'm a Titans fan, all right? I know the painful part. We know pain. (laughs) I don't know if that's true, by the way. I mean, you look at it, you wonder what might have been. It's very possible. One of the calling cards of the Jets, though, ever since then and even before that, is they've had a great defense. Their problem was finding a quarterback. They've either had an older guy come in and have a decent season, or they've had nothing from that position. They have never had the answer at quarterback. Gino, Gino, (laughs) Gino. Yeah, not Gino. (laughs) Sanchez had some decent seasons. When Bill Parcells made the AFC Championship there with them, it was Vinny Testaverde at quarterback. Now, Belichick might be trying to walk from the Jets, but we got contract issues again. But Belichick files a grievance with the NFL to be free from the Jets. And little Drew crying in his sports hat crying crying in his jets gear now parcells is disappointed he's trying to be diplomatic probably the most he's ever been at this point so this contract negotiation this grievance that belichick files it doesn't work he's under contract and meanwhile the patriots might move on to their new head coach dom capers who's going to lead them to six super bowls i love capers. If he gets hired i love capers on a locks on a locks everything bagel with a cream cheese delicious But then Robert Kraft gets a call from Darth Vader. (laughs) Parcells calls Robert Kraft and tells, but he's going as Darth Vader. You got to spend some more time on that, Ken Rogers. Kraft just says, I got a call from Darth Vader and knew it was Parcells. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why? (laughs) Wait, what's that story? We got Doom and they should have called this Doom and Vader. (laughs) Doom and Vader. I mean, it would have been more accurate. He calls Kraft. They work out a deal. He'll give Belichick, and the Jets will take some draft picks. The same thing that happened when Parcells goes to the Jets, basically. It's kind of the reversal. And then they're all saying, oh, I guess I should have asked for more in hindsight. And Kraft's like, yeah, pretty good trade by me, huh? In the meantime, poor Dom Capers gets totally screwed. Poor Dom. You never remember the head coaching career of Dom Capers. He could have been the one with Tom Brady. That's right. Tom Brady is not mentioned in this documentary at all. You know, once we get to this point, they kind of... They breeze through all that. They just flash forward like, hey, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. It's really exciting. Look at Parsa Belichick winning all these Super Bowls. I mean, we're getting into 21st century football. I mean, it's a lot fresher on people's minds. I was kind of glad they didn't inch through inch go through all of those. You know, See, this was more painful to me than the, than the Bill Belichick 
disaster of a press conference there. They just skipped that. Oh, it's common knowledge. Him and the Patriots just go on to win all these Super Bowls together. Let's just do it as a Rocky montage. Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. All right, great. Belichick, keep winning, keep winning. Meanwhile, Parcells unretires again to coach the Cowboys. And they do play the Patriots. And, of course, the Patriots are the Belichick New England Patriots. And they shut the Cowboys down. And again, the relationship between the two of them that everyone's focusing on while they talk to each other, it's a bit frosty. Belichick says now he wished he just went to Parcells and talked. Parcells responds, it's just football. Obviously, they didn't like each other. What's that dude's name? Was he like a, a stab at Scott guy? Scott Pioli. He gets them to play some golf. He's a longtime staffer for the Patriots and the Jets before that with Parcells. Scott sucks at golf, but he's managed to get these guys on the course. Scott moved on to become the, the in charge of the Kansas City Chiefs later on, but he also married Parcells' daughter. Whoa. And that's how he gets this thing together, is he's married to Parcells' daughter, so they've got to talk to each other. That golf day. And then he works with Belichick on the Patriots. That golf day, they both say, was a good day. Because they got to make fun of Scott Pioli the whole time. <laughs> he gets kicked off the course for not tucking his shirt in. And basically, Belichick and Parcells, like the gruff old assholes they are, rebond by laughing at Scott Pioli. <laughs> his untucked shirt. You dicks. That's totally understandable, though. Parcells <laughs> says the animosity is overblown. Belichick says the same thing. The director wants them to go to the Jets' locker room. And they're both like, why? Why would we want to do that? We're not doing that. Did you notice how much stank Belichick puts on saying the word Jets? He just goes, I think he wants us to go to the Jets locker room. That's pretty, oh, oh, I forgot that they start making out at the end. Oh, and they sign the table. Ken Rogers really missed an opportunity to write the word loves between their signature. I thought he was going to write, draw the heart around both of their names, the arrow through it. But instead, these guys, it's so cold to the Jets right there. Yeah. Is it? Basically, Bill Parcells is like, let's end this thing on a high note and not visit the Jets locker room and just look at all our trophies together we won on the Giants. And that's pretty much the two Bills. Ending with back, a call back to the beginning where he says, our blood kinship. Blood kinship. Real awkward vibes. They did it. They did it together. And then separately. They got a little bit of hate there because Bill Belichick wins all these Super Bowls with the Patriots later on. Way outpaces Bill Parcells' titles. And Parcells kind of, his his reputation takes a hit in retrospect. Because they say, hey, he didn't win anything without Belichick. Ooh. But he also didn't win anything without Al Groh, right? who went on to a very forgettable stint as the Jets head coach. Parcells has been the boss of at least three championship coaches. Basically the entire NFL coaching tree right now, except for Andy Reid and the coaches who came from Andy Reid's tr coaching tree can be traced back to Bill Parcells. Every coach in the NFL can be traced back in some way or another to Bill Parcells. Pretty impressive. Now, you said you had some extra information? I was trying to find a way to throw this in. It never really came up. But the title is a lie. I was waiting for this to come up in this documentary, the entire movie, and he never brings it up. Oh, there's only one Bill in this documentary. Well, don't fuck with me right now. Bill Parcells' name is not Bill. What? Not at all. What is going on? You're talking about Bill Belichick, William Belichick. Right. And Dwayne Charles Parcells are the two people in this. Dwayne Charles Parcells? Dwayne Charles Parcells. Why do they call him Bill? As the story that I've heard goes, he was mistaken for another kid named Bill when he was young, and he just kind of liked it better, so he started answering to it. 
until anyone, everyone started calling him that. Weird. But he's not Bill. He's Dwayne Charles Parcells. Dwayne Charles and Bill. <laughs> There's only one Bill here. And Patriots fans will probably take that one. We know which Bill is the real Bill. <laughs> take that into your Super Bowl party's fun facts. I feel like our whole lives are a lie. Why is that not in this documentary? Yeah, it is weird. He never mentions it. Never mentions. Now, his name's not actually Bill. <laughs> when he made the title, The Two Bills. Like like we said, they wanted them to fuck or fight, and they didn't really do either. If anything, they kind of maybe buried the hatchet a little deeper. Well, he ended up with a pretty straightforward football documentary about these guys' careers, and both separately and apart, although the apart part, he really glosses over fit and fast forward. Yeah, and it wasn't bad. And of course, we rate documentaries in our original Werner Herzog scale. I will give this, we don't do stars. Fuck that. We don't do star ratings. It makes me goddamn sick. Uh, but if you could give us five stars on iTunes, that'd be great. Maybe a review demanding them to convert to a Herzog rating. I give a five Herzog rating. Fuck stars. <laughs> Drew's going to give a rating one through five Herzogs. Then we combine them. And the final score of the film will be out of 10 Herzogs. Now, Drew, it was a lot I really liked about this movie. I'm not as familiar with the with the 80s, 90s football as maybe you are. So I felt like I did learn a lot. There was some charm. I did like the fact that he had them at that table, that they were there. And he didn't really, I felt like he wasn't really getting what he exactly wanted. But the two Bills, or Bill and Dwayne rather, are just going to give him what he's going to give him. I was kind of going back and forth in my head. I think at one point, after I was laughing a few times, because there are some funny moments in this movie. They're very human. Yeah, they're very human. I was going I was going between three and four. So I guess for my rating, I'm going to split the difference. I'm going three and a half Herzogs. I agree with you that they didn't get... He didn't get the movie he, made, he was trying to make here. You said it perfectly. He really wanted them to either fuck or fight. By the end of this. And I think the whole mainstream sports media at the time did. Because they show that tension every time they coached against each other. But they never got that. You got what is a really normal, everyday human thing of two guys who worked together and got along well enough. And then separately, they just didn't really talk. Yeah. They didn't really talk too much. They didn't hate each other. But they didn't go hang out either. And on the Bill Belichick side of things, that's his M.O. So you got this really human story. Of two guys who you can think of like any of your coworkers that you don't work with anymore, that you just don't talk to anymore. And then eventually maybe you run into each other on the golf course and make fun of some other dick who doesn't tuck his shirt in for a while. And then you get along again and laugh like old times. <laughs> so that's nice. They have each other in this in this room at this table together, which was supposed to be some big deal that they're together at Giant Stadium, which is where this whole thing took place. If Ken where laid, they started their NFL careers. If Ken laid down a tablecloth and lit some candles, he'd get a four. <laughs> but I really liked all the football in here. I liked the way the documentary ended up. It ended up just being a good story about two really interesting head coaches, kind of the legends of their era, and how that, that relationship worked and built these teams. We got a lot of great highlights. We got John Madden. We got Stuart Scott. We got Marv Alberts. Marv Alberts, chomp. Great cameos. But again, there was nothing that really stood out to me about this one, but there was nothing I really disliked too much either. Sure. So I'm going to give it three star. Three Herzogs. Three Herzogs. Don't hurt me. I don't. You didn't quite finish it. That's good. <laughs> I've been here before now. I, I'm onto your rating system. That brings 30 for 30, 
the two bills by Ken Rogers, six and a half out of ten. Seems like a fine score. I think that's our first six and a half. Pretty solid. I'd say Super Bowl Sunday enjoyment. Now, Drew, everyone wants to know. Everyone's probably listening to this, getting pumped up for the game tonight. Who do you think is going to win? Look, we already went over this. I'm a Jets fan. Despite brain power here, I can't pick the Patriots. Just no part of me wants to see the (laughs) Patriots win a sixth Super Bowl. There's no way Brady's going to get one for the thumb on his other hand. He needs two hands full of rings. I don't want to see that. (laughs) I'm hoping most people just don't want to see that. For all those Eagles fans who climbed the Criscode flagpoles (laughs) or light posts in Philadelphia and got real wild as soon as they went to the Super Bowl, I want to see how wild they can get with a Super Bowl win. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to pick those Eagles. Let's give it. It's going to have to be a defensive game for the Eagles to win for sure. So let's go ahead and give them a 20 to 17 win over the Pats. Wow. Now, I agree. The Eagles' D, definitely better. And they probably got a better run game, too. But those Patriots, all together, they're so good. Now, I got family in Massachusetts. They're insane for the Patriots. You insult the Patriots, it's like you took a swing on one of their kids or something. Was that before or after the six Super Bowls? I think it's pretty much been the whole time. They always talk about how they used to suck when they were kids, and then now they're grown and they're good. That's true. You could give them that. They weren't always the Yankees of football. But if the Patriots lose, I can't razz them because they took it easy when the on me when the t- Patriots ripped up the Titans. So I gotta I gotta be respectful and kind. And a part of me would like to see the Eagles win that Super Bowl, but I'm also afraid for the city of Philadelphia if the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Those battery chucking maniacs, man. And I do like that the police Chris go the polls. <laughs> That's given them a lot of credit that they did that before the game. Win or lose. Before the Super Bowl, they said they will not be Chris going the polls this time, mainly because it didn't work. What I ultimately want to see, I don't feel too invested with either team, but I think it's going to be a good game, and I hope it's going to be a good game. That's what I want the most. But as far as my prediction, I think the Eagles is going to be similar to last year's Super Bowl. Maybe not quite so close. <laughs> They're going to come back after a 28-3 deficit. I don't think the deficit's going to be that high. But I think the Eagles are going to lead going into the half, maybe by a couple scores, two touchdowns. And then the Pats are going to do what they often do and figure out a way to win. And I'm going to say that the Pats are going to win. I don't know what the score is going to be, but I think it's going to be by three points. And they're going to make a comeback just like they did against the Jaguars in the AFC Championship. Yes. Just rub phases in it all day. Oh, you thought we were going to lose? Fuck you, we're the Patriots. We're going to put 283 rings in our, 283 diamonds in our ring, just to rub in that score to the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, that was brutal, man. Man, those Patriots. I actually like the Falcons. I was rooting for the Southern team to get it. I think they like being the villains at this point. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, they own it, man. I think it fuels them. It's because he learned under Darth Vader himself. You can listen to Drew on WXNA 101.5 right here in Nashville. 101.5 101.5 FM, or anywhere worldwide at WXNAFM.org on the Walk It Off show, Sports Talk. That's fun, not some screaming talking heads. You can talk hit- about sports like we talk about at the sports bar with our buddies. You can hit up his social handles at Walk It Off. Radio. Radio. <laughs> uh, hit up at uh, Documenteers on Instagram. Shoot us an email at Documenteerspodcast at Gmail. And um, no matter what they tell you, keep on docking.
Uh-huh. If you don't love America, you're standing up in your living room. Don't go to the bathroom, then. Go fuck Don't get a yourself. bag of chips. You respect pink, damn it. Go fuck yourself, Marsha Blackburn.